1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As you turn there, let me say that I am so excited about the officer elections that we will have immediately after our worship service today. And I'm excited because these elections really have the potential to make our church, when we gather, a better place. There is such potential for us to run things better than we do, to have more efficiency, to have more clarity so you can know how to get involved in things and how things get done, opportunities for more people to get involved. And I believe these elections have the potential to help us with those things. I also want you to know that these elections have the potential to make you more into the person that God has designed you to be. And I will connect the dots there as we go through the sermon. But it has been my hope and my prayer that as these elections come to pass, that we would be a people transformed. And that it would transform not just our organization, but individuals would be transformed. And as we are transformed that we would be different in our homes and our homes would become more Christ-like as we become more Christ-like, that our families would become more Christ-like, that, that it would even have effects on the places where we live and work and play, that as we are transformed, those places would be transformed. I'm excited because 16 months ago I, I could see this, I could imagine this, I could visualize this, but today a major part is actually coming to pass and I am thrilled about the prospects. And much of what I will do in the sermon today will kind of give you the biblical basis for what we will be doing in the congregational meeting immediately after our worship service. But I'll also be telling a lot of the story of how we got to this point, which is a lot of my own story. So if you were a guest, I'm so glad that you're here with us. As you search for a church home, I do think this information would be really helpful to you as you hear our heart and where we want to go as a leadership and who we want to be as a church. Don't think that there are no things in here for you if you're a guest. But I do want to tell you it's a little bit of an unusual sermon for me. Um, sharing a little more of my own story and the story of our church. I'm usually a little more expositional, a little more exegetical in the scripture, verse by verse. You can listen to sermons online or come back another time and hear that. But I will exhort you from the scripture, make application from the scripture today, but you'll also be hearing a lot about God's faithfulness to his people in this place. And that is certainly appropriate for a sermon as well. So let's go there. Let's walk down that road. The story for me begins in September of 2008. I was in my last year of seminary, and that's when this church in September of 2008 called me to be its third lead pastor. And they called me by a vote of 37 to 0. And I tell, you, I tell you that specific number, not to say, hey, everybody liked me and they were unanimous. I tell you to say there were only 37 people here voting for a pastor, right? It was a smaller operation. We only had half of this building. Um, and, you know, today when we vote, there could be three or four times that number of people voting today. But at that time, we were smaller. We had half this building, half of it. Bradford Health Services had people coming in and out to go to AA meetings and that sort of thing. And, and there were more people really going in and out there than they were here. And, and when the mail would come, I would get it out of the mailbox, and I opened it, and I sorted it. And if you called the church, I answered the phone. And if I wasn't here, you got an answering machine. And when I came in, I checked the messages on the answering machine. 
But every single aspect of the church I was involved in. There wasn't a single part that I was not involved in. And so like a a president or a CEO of a new business, I was involved in all of those things, negotiating leases, looking at space, all of that. But I also got to be a pastor and counsel people and study and teach and preach and and do weddings and funerals and visit people in the hospital. And I loved both of those things. But I want you to understand that from my experience, and I'm going to show you in the scripture. Listen, this is an important point. This is the first thing you need to take away. There are physical and spiritual realities to life in the church. There are physical and spiritual realities. What the thermostat said today is a real issue, right? Having electricity running to the building is a real issue. Those are physical things. And then the spiritual issues we tend to think about, but there are physical and spiritual realities to life in the church. And, and some churches are really good at one of those two things. Some folks get really focused on the spiritual and they long to see the kingdom of God grow. But if they don't think about the physical things, then you're not as efficient with your resources. And the money and the manpower that God provides, you don't use it to make as big of an impact for the kingdom as you could because you don't manage the physical things well. And we don't want to be that kind of a church. Now, there are also churches who manage the physical things well. they have great processes. They are smooth. They are slick. But they've lost sight of the reason for which they exist, which is to make disciples or followers of Jesus Christ who then transform the world where they live because they're being transformed to look more like Jesus. We want to do both of those things well. We want to use the money and the manpower and the resources God gives us as efficiently as we can so we can make as much of an impact for the kingdom as we possibly can as we seek the spiritual purpose of making disciples and seeing the kingdom grow in the shoals. That's who we want to be as a church, and we are moving toward being able to do that. Early on, though, there was no aspect of the church that I was not involved in. I remember the first time I came in and something was going on that I didn't know about. It's funny, Lisa and I came in these doors to my left, and you're right, that used to be where we came in and out here. If you've been here long enough, you know that. We didn't really use the front part of the building. And Lisa and I came in, and we walked across, and there was a meeting going on over here. And I said, do you know what this meeting is? She said, I don't know what this meeting is. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's a coup. They're going to get rid of us, you know? And I looked in there, and it was a meeting about the youth, and there were some people getting together to plan stuff for youth. So we said, sorry to bother you. And then Lisa and I were ecstatic. We did a happy dance. There are things going on here that we don't know about. And that's a good thing because I want you to hear my heart. I don't want our ministry and the scope of our ministry and the impact to be limited to what I can wrap my mind around or what I can manage. I want it to be much larger and much bigger than that. I sincerely desire that for this church. And God, by his grace, has allowed that to happen. And we have grown and we have grown. And and sometime in 2016, 
I became aware that I was actually Winkle tells me I was overwhelmed before that and didn't realize it. But that's when I became aware that I was overwhelmed. And maybe you experienced it. He doesn't text back as fast as he used to. He doesn't answer my email as quick as he used to. He doesn't, you know, I have to remind him two or three times to do sometime in 2016. I became aware of that and I was overwhelmed and I didn't tell anybody. And I held that inside, and I carried that, and there's shame, and I'm not being a good leader, and I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. And if I can just do better, if I can be more efficient, if I can work harder. Listen, here's one of those things for guests. If you never come back, I want you to hear this from God's word. You don't have to carry things alone. Galatians 6 in verse 2 says that we are to bear one another's burdens, that that's what we do in the church. You weren't made to live life on your own. You were made for a community. And the things you're struggling with, don't try to bear those things alone. I've done that. I understand. But we can't fulfill Galatians 6 2 and bear one another's burdens if you don't tell people what your burdens are. And I understand the temptation not to do that because I didn't tell anybody for a while. And I carried that, and I carried that shame, and I felt awful, and you always feel bad, and you're apologizing. It's a yucky way to live. But one of the reasons, maybe one of the reasons you don't tell people, one of the reasons I didn't tell people is because, yes, I was ashamed, and I wanted to try to just kind of fix it myself and do better without telling anybody. But even more than that, I, I believe, there's a lie that I believed, and maybe you believe this lie, and it's why you don't talk to people. Sometimes I believe this lie. My problem is so unique that nobody would understand this particular situation. Lisa and I have counseled with so many people, and that was at the root of why they didn't want to talk. Because by, you wouldn't understand because my situation is so unique. It's so, maybe you hear that voice in your mind today, and I want you to know that is a lie. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 tells us, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. There are certain things that are just common to humanity we all face. And I know you may say, hey, listen, you know, my temptation's on the internet or with technology, and it didn't exist when the Bible existed. Let me tell you this. Yes, the technology didn't exist, but the problems are not the technology or the internet. The problems are with, within our hearts. And the hearts of people are the same now as they were when the Bible was written. And no temptation has seized you except what is common to all mankind. But it goes on. God is faithful. Do you see that? And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Thank you, Lord. I want you to know that that is true. And it's true, first, because it's God's word and he does not lie. But second of all, I want to give testimony that it is true because I have experienced it. I have lived it. And God did help me to be able to share where I was falling short and to overcome that burden that I was feeling. And there are a lot of places in Scripture that might be applicable to your situation. You don't have to turn here, but I'm going to read you part of what the Lord used for mine. It was Numbers chapter 11. We can laugh about it now. It's funny, but it was not funny at the time. And the Lord came to me. The context here is Moses is leading God's people, and he's feeling the burden of being a leader of God's people. And I'll pick up reading in Numbers chapter 11. You'll see why we can laugh about it now. Moses heard the people of every family wailing 
eat at the entrance to his tent. Surely it wasn't that bad, Scott. Well, it seemed like it, right? The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you, that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive these people? (laughs) Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their fathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat. Look at verse 14. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. And I said, amen. Yes, Lord, that's me. Moses goes on. If this is how you're going to treat me, just put me to death right now. If I've found favor in your eyes, and don't let me face my own ruin. Now, it was never that bad here at Redeemer Church, but sometimes it feels that way when you're in the moment. But I want you to see some things about this text. First, notice the physical and the spiritual realities that are going on with the leadership of God's people. Moses is solving their moral problems. He's, he's, he's giving them the Ten Commandments. He's telling them as a prophet what God says to tell them. He's resolving disputes and helping them to live their lives the way God designed them to live. But he's also looking for food for them. There are physical realities. They're asking for meat. And I don't mean the spiritual kind. I mean they want something to eat. There are physical and spiritual realities to leading God's people. The second thing that was huge for me out of this is when I read that verse 14, I was like, okay, God knows. He understands. At least Moses does, right? No, the Lord knows. Listen, whatever it is you're struggling with, you may not be a pastor and leading God's people, but listen to me. God knows and he understands. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses he was tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin listen i want you to hear that today whatever it is that you're facing or you are going through whatever difficulty you have jesus knows and he understands and he sympathizes with you in your situation And even though you may have made mistakes in this situation, even though you may have sinned against people you've been sinned against, you've sinned against other people, you may not have handled it the way that you should, Jesus has faced something similar and he handled it without sin. On your behalf. He's been perfect. And then he died the death that you and I deserve for our sin, for not handling things the way that we should. And so there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. We're not condemned for that anymore because Jesus lived a perfect life and died the death that we deserve so that we can, guess what, be honest about what our struggle is. Maybe for the first time, listen, this is how the gospel gives us that freedom to just be honest with God and honest with other people. Maybe for the first time. That's why the verse goes on. And what does it say? He struggles with, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may find, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time. We can come before the throne with confidence because Jesus lived a perfect life and died the death that I deserve. And so I can be honest and we can actually name the things that are wrong and begin to deal with them. And God does give us answers. This first Corinthians 10 said he does give us a way out. And in this passage in Numbers 11, for me, 
In verse 16, the Lord reminds them, hey, you've got all these elders of the people who are there, right? And then he says in verse 17, they will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. God said you have these elders. Call on them. Listen, your struggle may be different than mine, but listen, there are elders here amongst us and you can call on them. These are good men who know the Lord. They are wise men. They are capable men. They're not going to condemn you for bringing the struggle. They're going to sympathize with you and your weakness. And I hope that you have one that you can go to. I'll tell you who I went to in 2017. I was struggling. I realized I was struggling in 2016. In 2017, in the summer, I finally went to somebody. I went to, I went to Paul Clark, who prayed earlier today. And I went to Paul because he's a pastor's kid, and his dad had planted a couple of churches. And I figured he's got to understand or have some realization of the pressure that I'm facing. And so I went to Paul, and I talked to him about it. And Paul ended up coming, and he worked two and three days a week at the church for about six six months. And I think he would not for pay. He just came and did it right. Volunteered. And I think he would tell you most of what he did were the physical things, those physical realities, helping us with the processes that freed me up to focus on spiritual things. And it was awesome. I loved it. And then when he left to go travel out west, he didn't leave me alone. But by 2018, May of 2018, Susan Nash came in. If you remember, she was a paid consultant. She operated in kind of a director of operations position. She helped us to troubleshoot. She helped us to see how we could establish better processes. She has experience doing that. She kind of told us how it could look in this place. And she stayed around to help us implement those things. And she's really helped to start the process that, that we will continue. But we have a milestone in today with our congregational meeting with our officer elections. And yes, the elders took on more themselves and began to do more. And our meetings got longer and longer. And there was more stuff that the elders were doing. And Michael Cody came to me after a session meeting one time and he said, hey, listen, we don't shepherd people the way we used to when I first got on the session." We used to go through the role of the church, and we would talk about, you know, whoever's name was there. You know, Austin Duke, where is he? He's newly married. He started a new job. You know, what can we do to help him? Where is he? You know, what can we do to help him become all that God made him to be? And then pray for him. And he said, we did a lot of that when I first, we don't do that as much anymore because we're doing all this business stuff. Maybe we should have one meeting that's devoted to spiritual things and, and one meeting that's, that's devoted to the business, the, the physical things of the church. And I thought, well, that's a good idea. And he left and I thought about it and prayed about it. And I was like, yeah, the guys are going to love two meetings a month instead of one. That's going to be a big crowd pleaser, right? Well, at least they'll be shorter and they don't like how... What if those meetings get long because there's a lot of work to do? And as I began to search the scripture and sought the Lord and prayed about it, I became convicted that we don't need two meetings. We need two separate boards that are focusing on two separate things. Our elders were over-functioning. Yes, out of goodness, out of a desire to help me, as a desire to see things get done, our elders were over-functioning. We were not giving our deacons space to do the things that they needed to do. And it just, it was not, it was dysfunctional. We were not working the right way. 
So we formed that officer reconstruction team. I'm so indebted to those folks, and they've done so much work. I won't try to name them all because I'll forget somebody. Um, but our officer reconstruction team helped so much. And one of the first things I did when I sat down with them is I said, hey, y'all got to see this Act 6 thing. <laughs> you got to see this. And you can go back, and on September the 8th of this year, I preached on Act 6 and shared with you a lot of what I shared with that officer reconstruction team. We gave the deacons a sabbatical for the year of 2019. The elders were doing everything because we were taking steps to try to get to a healthier place. But Acts 6, if you will recall, tells us that as the, as the number of disciples grew, the number of complaints increased. I'm like, okay, that's where we are, <laughs> right? And remember the complaints in Acts 6 were, were not the spiritual things, but the physical things. The processes of the church were not going the way that we should. They weren't able to meet the physical needs of the congregation the way that they could before. And the leaders, instead of taking that on... The leaders, they said, we're not going to take that on because we would be distracted from our devotion, our focus on spiritual things. And we're not going to let anything take our minds and our time and our energies off prayer and the ministry of the word, which are those spiritual things. In fact, Acts 6 and verse 2, it's seared in my mind. The, The apostles, what they said is it would be wrong for us to do that. And I was so convicted because I said, what we're doing out of good intentions and out of a good heart, what we're doing is wrong. And it's got to be fixed. And so their solution in Acts 6 has been so instructive for us. I love what they did. Remember, they didn't look for who to blame. We could have a whole, you know, we should analyze the situation and see what we can do better and where it's gone wrong. But, but not for the purpose of just blaming people or making them feel bad. They didn't throw out the people who were making the complaints. They didn't ignore the complaints. They didn't say that the physical things were not important. They said we need to come up with a way to meet the physical and the spiritual needs because there are physical and spiritual realities to life in the church. And so what did they do in Acts 6? And in verse 2, they gathered all the disciples together. That means all the followers of Jesus came together. That means, listen to me, you are part of the solution to the problem I'm describing. Biblically, you're part of the solution. They gathered the, the followers of Jesus together. And they say, look, we can't be taken away from these spiritual realities. But you choose men from among you. And and we will let them do these jobs. And we will stay devoted to what we've been called to do. And they established a second group. There was a division of responsibility. There were two separate groups of leaders doing two separate things. One devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. And one for taking up and distributing resources for logistical things, for the physical processes that have to happen for church to take place. And this day, we have the opportunity to elect two boards, deacons and elders, which I believe more closely follows what the scripture outlines for us to do. And this is so important, not just because it's right biblically, that's enough. But I want you to know it's really important for another couple of reasons. The first one is this, deacons can make this church run better. 
We can run with greater efficiency. We can have greater clarity. I mean, how many times have you wondered, how do I do blah, blah, blah around here? Who do I talk to? You don't know. There's not clarity. Deacons can help us with that. We have so many volunteers and I'm so indebted to. Julie Trapp does so much as a volunteer for our children's ministry. James Thigpen, Will Stanfield do the same thing for men's ministry. I'm out on a limb now. You start naming volunteers, you're dead after that, right? Linda Lightsey does so much to help us plan our worship. Scotty Floyd does so much for hospitality. And there's so many other volunteers. Um, I, I'm not forgetting about you. I'm not leaving you. I'm just giving examples. But, you know, we've hired people to do work here, too. Remember, I was the only one in the beginning, but we've hired Beth Forrest for children's ministry. We've hired Austin Duke. Uh, we, we've hired nursery workers. And when you begin to do that, if you own a business, listen, you know what I'm talking about. You've got to pay those people, right? Which means you have to take in money. You have to keep up with the money. You have to account for the money. You've got to have, like, W-2s and I-9s, and you've got to have training for their job and job descriptions for what they do and personnel policies and then reviews at the, personnel reviews at the end of the year. That's just a reality to life in the church as we begin to hire people. Deacons can help with that. Thank the Lord there are more people here giving more money so that we can do more for the kingdom, and I'm so grateful for that. But that means that there are more resources to steward. And I want to be accountable to you and open to you so that I can show that we've done the best we can with what you give to us. But listen, more than that, we're accountable to God for what he gives us. And I'm really more frightened about that. And I really want to do a good job because we're accountable to him for what we do with the resources that he gives us. Deacons can help us with that. With our building, there are more and more people who need access. I get emails. I get texts, right? I need to get in to decorate for Christmas. I need to take down the Christmas decorations. I need a key. Who has a key? What's the process for getting a key? What criteria do you have to meet? I want to use the church for my mom's birthday party, for my kid's birthday, for a piano recital. Somebody has to manage the facility. How do you put it back together? What's it supposed to look like? And if we're really good stewards of our resources, we don't want to pay rent on this building forever. At one day, I would love for us to own the place we worship. Deacons can help with that. It's gotten so much bigger than what one person or even a few elders can handle. And there aren't just the physical building and the physical space. There are physical needs that people have because of where we're located. There are a lot of outside folks who just stop by and ask for help with things. There are outside ministries that ask for support. There are missionaries who need physical, material support for their ministry. But even more than that, there are needs of our members inside the church that we're missing. You say more than that? Yeah, more than that. Galatians 6 and verse 10 tells us to do good to all men, but especially to the household of faith, especially those people who have come here that God has put in this place. How can we create a way for, for members who have needs to make those needs known? How can church members let us know about members who may need help because they lost a job or they had surgery or uh, some health problem or some kind of unexpected bills? How can we do that better? Deacons can help with that. There are so many processes that take place, even on just a Sunday morning here. The greeters who greeted you out front, the ushers who take up the offering, 
the all-important, how does the coffee get made? We might have more training for the people who make coffee than we do for small group leaders. We need to look into that. But it's a physical reality of life in the church. Who organizes the connect team, the gifts that we give to visitors, the pew pads? You give us this information, we got to do something with it, right? What about food for prayer night and other events? Deacons can help make this church more friendly, more efficient, more clarity on how we do things and get more people involved. That's important. Second, elders who are focused on prayer and the word are good for your soul. In Acts 6, in, in chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 4, the apostle said, We will devote ourselves to prayer and ministry of the word, and y'all handle these physical things. The King James Version says, We will give ourselves continually to prayer and ministry of the word and let these other folks handle these things. We need a group of people who are devoted to, continually focused, giving themselves to prayer and ministry of the word. Elders, you, you may think to yourself, okay, Acts 6, those were apostles, were elders, were not apostles. There's a distinction there. Is that really what we're supposed to be doing? Well, let's look at what the scripture says to elders. Acts 20, Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders, and what does he say to them? Keep watch over all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. That's what Paul said to the Ephesian elders. What does Peter say? Peter is talking to elders. And what does Peter say? To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Paul says, be shepherds. Peter says, be shepherds. The example of the apostles in Acts 6 is prayer and ministry of the word, devoting themselves to that. I'm pretty sure that there needs to be a group of people who are going to be shepherds and devote themselves to those spiritual things like prayer and ministry of the word. Shepherd is the word that we get our word pastor from. Listen, I just have to tell you, I want to confess, and it is hard for me, but I just want to confess this. I cannot pastor all of you. I cannot shepherd you the way that you need to be shepherded. But praise God, I am not alone. The Old Testament example in Numbers 11, the New Testament example that we've looked at, is that there are elders who will pastor here with me. Listen, you need to understand, my role is changing here, and I'm struggling to change. Change can be hard. But my role is not to pastor all of you, and I love all of you, and I want to. But my role is changing, and I can't pastor all of you anymore. My job is to pastor the pastors. My job is to shepherd the shepherds and to pour into them. And their job is going to be to pastor you and to pour into you. Because that's the biblical example and it is good for your soul. So why am I so excited about officer elections today? Number one, it's a more biblical, will be more biblical in our structure of church leadership. It is the right thing to do. It is wrong to do life like we were doing it before. Number two, the result of that is we will have a better run church, more efficiency, more clarity on how to do things, easier ways for you to get involved and for people to connect. So the result is a better run church. 
And we want to do those things so that we can serve you better. But listen, you need to understand. Listen to me. One other point. I'm going to stop. Listen. That is not where this ends. (laughs) These changes are not to give us better customer service so that you can be better consumers. Okay? That is not the goal. Yes, I do think you will benefit. Yes, we will serve you better. But if we serve you better, then you are better able to become the person God created you to be. And as he shapes you and molds you and transforms you, then your life and your home and your family and the places where you live and work and play will be different. And as you grow and are equipped to spread God's kingdom all over the shoals, things will change and there's transformation And all of a sudden, we're doing what it is that God created us to do, which is to make disciples, followers of Jesus, who, as they are more Christ-like, change the world in which they live. That's why we exist. That's why we're having elections. God planted this church here for that purpose. And I have a part to play in it. And I am working hard to learn that part and to play it well and to run my leg of the race well as I hold the baton in this generation. Our elders have a part to play in that. Our officers have a part to play. And they're working hard to get these things into place. But listen, you have a part to play as well. And as we all do our part, by God's grace, the kingdom of God will break into our world here in the shoals. And more and more... God's kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray and ask him to do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy to your people. Thank you for how you have been at work. We, we pray that you would just continue to work. I know that your plans are, are not to abandon us but to prosper us. And so I just pray that you would use even the hard things for good And that you would use all these things to make us more into the people you would have us to be. That we would look more and more like Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.